Warning! The following episode contains mature subject matters, mentions of immigrant culture, and a Brazilian host with the energy of a chaotic vampire. Listener discretion is advised. Sou foda, na cama te esculacho, na sala ou no quarto, no beco ou no carro. Eu, eu sou sinistro, melhor que seu marido, esculacho seu amigo, no escuro eu sou um perigo, afastalador, um cara interessante. Hey, and I'm back for yet another interview. Here with me today, we have Guled Abdi. He is a stand-up comedian, a sketch writer and performer, and he is also part of the Tall Boys, also seen on CBC Jam. Bringing you up now. Hi, Guled. Thank you so Hello. much for joining me. Of course. Thank you for having me. Ah, thank you. Um, so... Before before we get started with the interview, I wanted to ask you something. Do you remember meeting me? Because I remember meeting you. I, I we've met a handful of times. I don't know when we first met though. Was it? Like, if I had to guess, was it at a stand-up show? It was at a stand-up show. Okay. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, it was in one of those Etobicoke shows into those like small bars. Was it placebo space? Yes. Oh wow. Okay. Yes, and uh, that night in particular, a bunch of uh, I guess old men decided to walk into a show, oh. and they heckled me. In my oh, very no. first, very first year or so doing stand-up, and I got out of stage feeling a little, I guess, intimidated by the heckled, and you came up right after me and addressed my hecklers, but being like, "Laura, don't worry, you don't have to do stand-up for the extras of Trailer Park Boys." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Oh, that's so funny! I, I did, I like. It, that was my glad experience. That's great. I, um, I, because as you're talking, it's like, and then I came up and then said nothing about that. I'm, I'm like, that would also be gulad as well, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I called the extra trailer park boys. I hope, yeah, I hope they feel that the burn till this day. Extras. It wasn't even the trailer park boys. It was the extras <laughs> in it. <laughs> so shady. Uh, I loved it. Oh, that's great. Oh well, no, I'm, I'm glad that yeah, no, that's the. It's so weird. Uh, I, I you're doing comedy a lot of times. It's like I now describe it as just hostile audiences. You know, people oh, who yeah. don't want to be there or are there and like just do not want to have a good time. And they just like, man, I gotta. Why do I have to fight you to just get out a joke uh -huh. that I'm not even confident in? You know? Yeah, yeah. I think so much of that is why people have to get used to bombing in the beginning years of comedy because so many shows you're doing at the audience did not ask to watch your set the audience no, doesn't care <laughs> absolutely yeah I, i remember hosting an open mic at a bar that never promoted it anywhere so people always got surprised by the show it was an ambush stand-up show open mic and mm -hmm. so i was always ruining somebody's Dude. evening yeah and every time i was like hey guys i'm sorry i know you guys continue to catch up but you're about to hear some terrible jokes so just five minute so warning so so Guled, for the people who don't know you why don't you introduce yourself a little bit yeah hey what's up uh my name is Guled abdi i am a somali canadian comedian uh i started doing stand-up in the city at a random open mic called skin of my nuts Uh, I went. <laughs> um, I found it from googling stand-up open mics in the city, uh, and and I went on at one, sometime after one a.m. in the morning. Uh, and uh, I've, I've been doing comedy since then for about eight years. I, I, I love stand-up. I love doing sketch comedy. Um, I come from a large family, um, and actually, all my siblings uh, are so supportive, and they love that I'm doing comedy and. And pursuing it and one day 
my dad will hopefully come around. He likes that I'm now doing well, but he would love if I did a master's degree. And one day, mm. hopefully, he will either accept comedy or I will do a master's degree. We will find out which one will happen. What if you did a master's degree in comedy? If there was such a thing. Oh, I think that might. I think that might break his heart. <laughs> that, would, <laughs> that would. He would. I think he would be proud if I love to do a master's degree. And then when he asked what it was in, he would immediately be disappointed. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So. Okay, so talking about education and stuff, we get into more of the professional aspect of it. Did you, what did you want to do with your life originally? And was it always comedy or did that surprise you as a route? A comedy surprised me. I never Mm. saw myself doing it. I mean, I was cracking jokes with my friends back in high school but I had such a small group of friends so only like two other people knew I was somewhat funny Uh, nobody else outside of that group because I was very uh, shy and quiet uh, which also you can't see from this but I'm tall and I've been tall my entire life so I was just a shy, quiet very tall person um, who was making my friends laugh I was I went to university for science. I got a science degree, a bachelor's of science. Really? I thought I was, yeah. I thought first year I said, I'm going to do med school like everyone else is doing a bachelor's of science. Mm-hmm. And then I saw my GPA after the first year and I was like, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe not. You know, uh, I was doing so terrible. And I, but I, I stuck it out. It took eight years to do my undergrad. Um, degree. I finally got it. I thought I was going to go into public health, uh, epidemiology specifically, which is now epidemiology. So important they're, right I now. I know. They're the, if I had known, if someone had told me, Gulet, uh, <laughs> 15 years from after you start, it will be the hottest thing, you know? <laughs> um, but I was, a, I had such a bad mark in statistics, and that's most of epidemiology is statistics. So I gave up on. I was actually, I didn't even give up. I was going to continue doing it because uh, I didn't know what else to do. Mm-hmm. It was actually a friend who was also the uh, coordinator of a program on campus for people, a public health group, who saw that I didn't like this. And she's the person who actually inspired me to try stand-up comedy for the first time. Mm. That's so interesting. And when did you find yourself taking a shift from wanting to do stand up as a hobby to actually being like, no, I could, I could make a career with this. Um, I, I don't. I think, I think truly, uh, <laughs> when the show happened, you know, when Tall Boys, the uh, the sketch show happened, is the first time that I think I was like, oh, this is uh, a career now. Uh, it's still taken some adjustment where I'm like, oh, like I've moved into. Now this is my day job is doing mm-hmm. comedy. But before that, I I was truly, uh, I think I would have been one of the people who would have been just happy to just get to continue doing comedy, um, uh, which is probably a terrible <laughs> thing. I was like, it was, I would have loved if it was, if I was just still working a job and whatever, and I got to do stand up or whatever on the side, I think I would have been fine with that. Cause I didn't, um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have, uh aspirations of it being career but if it did happen i was like i would love to write for a show was the dream Mm. i was like i'd love to write for a show but i had no idea what steps to take to get there so yeah the career truly surprised me at the rate that it happened Mm. and how quickly my life changed and when it comes to writing for a show if you met somebody in their first year of comedy today who was like, I would also like to write for a show. What would be your top advice for this person? Um, I would like to write for a show. I think for me, the biggest thing would be like, find pe- find your community, your people, uh, friends and people who are also doing this. They don't even have to be in comedy. They could just be other people who inspire you in whatever other you know fields or career paths they're on. Um, and those people will like will keep you motivated to continue doing this 
um i'd say like yeah writing with those people uh and or using them as inspiration for your material will help you if you find people in comedy it's even better because then you guys can perform together the stuff that you've written and i think those things will quickly snowball into then oh like let's write a script together you know from sketches that were like two three pages to let's write a let's write a half hour or something you know and that that can hopefully get you building that muscle like writing full scripts and then you know then i I truly it was like writing with the tall boys then people approaching us but there's the other route which is or many other routes which is you putting stuff together and sending it out Mm -hmm. and in terms of putting stuff together if a person was like gulad i don't have a writing portfolio i want to work on one what samples should I aim to include in something like that? Um, for me, it'd be just creating stuff, you know, small things, creating that. Like if you were writing something like if you're interested in sketch, writing sketch, if you're interested in short film, writing short film um, and just creating those those scripts and trying to, you know, bare bones it if you can with friends who are also uh aspiring to do this and mm-hmm. um like having that to show to people like here's what i'm capable of and then like if you know people who are in um already have representation already in it like there's so much that's been uh people just reaching out and asking questions to those people being like hey can you can i chat with you for a bit or uh, would you be able to recommend me to your rep um uh what are they what are they looking for you know i've had friends do that for me uh sit down with me and 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 tell me their journey and i in whatever little i've picked up over the years i i'm always open to share that with other people be like yeah like i mean it feels like a cinderella story because i went about it a different route which was like i we got seen which is i mean the for me feels like the most ideal way of like you're doing the thing someone sees you and says let's make a show Mm -hmm. uh but i know that the it doesn't work like that for a lot of people like you don't you know you the getting seen is like you sending out many scripts never hearing back maybe going to competitions writing people creating things and then slowly you know stuff like that yeah doing that and doing those things for maybe many years i I know it's it's yeah for me it was our first outing at sketchfest we met the producers that we ended up making the show with which i don't think that's the norm Mm, okay and speaking of the cbc jam show tall boys what how would you describe is the development process for a show like this yeah, so for Tall Boys, we started with um, uh, after the producers approached us, they were able to uh, get a small development, um, like seed money from CBC to put together a room to try to write a couple scripts. Uh, at that time, actually, those first two scripts were pretty much all the live sketches that we had. We had to tr- learn how to translate it for TV. Because when you're writing sketch for stage, you're not really writing a slug line a lot of times of like interior house day because it's all on stage and people will imagine what it is because you'll set up the scene, you know, be like, hey, hey, dad. And people be like, oh, probably at home, you know. Mm. Um, so learning how to translate that. We had a, a, a lot of a couple other writers, Adam and Luke, who were helping us formulate this. And then some more senior people in the scene. um, who uh, were sketch comedians themselves, still are, were helping us with the process of like literally walking us through, here's how you format a script, here's how to move things along faster. And so once we had those two scripts together, we had sent CBC and there was a bit of back and forth over a span of a year and a half where they were giving us notes, still thinking about the idea. They came to watch us perform live but and then we'd edit the scripts a bit more and send that in and until eventually like yeah, a year and a half later they were like all right let's let's make the show yeah okay and then 
and then when it comes to, for instance, season one of the show, what would you say is the timeline that it took from development to production to post and release? So season one, uh, when did we start? We started that, I think, in about... Um, I think we started that, like, close to the... Yeah, maybe, like, November, around November. I think it was, like, we were in the room for about three, four months, I'd say. So I think all of it from room to then pre-production to then production and post was i think about six months mm. you know six seven months uh because we were filming it at uh, the end of april mm-hmm. and we started in like a little bit in november uh but probably closer to january is like when things started in earnest um so yeah so about six months of by the time we had finished it we were done in about june filming and then post was already happening when you're filming yeah uh, because the first already the dailies are being edited immediately like first day of shooting Mm -hmm. they're already cutting and putting together either sometimes we film the entire sketch or bits and pieces starting to put the timeline together here's Mm. the sketch we have this part of it and then we're going to film this uh, exterior scene another day and put that together and when it came to the day of production for instance what was the filming setup for a show like Cowboys? Was it single cam, multi cam, in studio? Uh, it was uh, the first season was uh, mostly on location. Mm-hmm. Um, this is uh, was pre COVID. Um, uh, sorry, you froze on your end, and I don't know. Can you still hear me? Hello. Oh, you're back. I can hear you. I can hear you. Okay, sweet. Uh, the first season was mostly on location. Uh, this is pre-COVID, so we were out shooting a bunch of uh, spaces. I don't, we, yeah, it was all, I think it was pretty much all on location. I don't remember mm-hmm. um, any, if any, studio stuff that we had done in the first season. Um, and so it was, that was my first experience truly being in a production of that size, like having a whole production office and hundreds of people working in different departments and their sole purpose is all creating the singular vision so mm-hmm. people you know props being like what do you want to hold in this scene and i'm like oh i never thought about what i want to hold i guess a cup <laughs> and <they're> like, <laughs> yeah and they're like and, and do you think uh, is there any food on the table i'm like uh, chips <laughs> you know <laughs> so just like like those those small things where like people will like you know with the script the clearer it is and the easier it is for people to give you options for things but it was so fascinating to see like oh this is one person's entire job is to make sure that the place is populated with things you know uh that's really interesting so like that's props being like you know and props does yeah they do food they do drinks they do you know uh, weapons as well you know they do they do a lot of stuff so um so seeing how like wow it gave me an appreciation for how tv and film is made of like oh it's such a um like it's such a crazy process how many people have to be on their a game to create even the smallest thing so every day being like wow like the lights had to be working if any technical glitches were happening like people were on it and trying to troubleshoot it filming in your outdoors and being like oh we've created so many ways of filming in a forest still getting power how how do we get lines to be in the middle of forest who's running the smoke who's doing this it's so like was so uh so cool but yeah but the the production process was um um i guess it's uh multi-camera is more uh stage stuff this was single camera but we had two cameras that we were shooting with um Mm -hmm. and uh bruce was the director of it and Mm -hmm. um and so yeah a lot of it was on location stuff and uh and then did you guys did you guys do like multiple takes of the same sketch with each camera getting different angles or was it like one run through of the sketch with both cameras taking it live i'd say it was more the first multiple takes of things Uh and sometimes getting different angles occasionally certain sketches or parts of sketches were very simple uh, in shooting wise there wasn't really options to like a second camera might not even be needed for this part because one camera uh, the space is so tiny right there's not a lot of it's not dynamic enough to 
to move things around. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, a lot of times it was multiple takes uh, at different different angles. Um, you know, trying to get the wide, trying to get the the singles, everyone's coverage, and and maybe some interesting shots that will that will make this sketch stand out. Like, oh, maybe this sketch because it's. I'm supposed to be giant, so they got to really figure out how they're shooting it and what angles and how I'm positioned according to the boys. So those were the more maybe challenging ones to do, the ones that required a green screen and some yeah. mattress for me to fall onto. Ah, uh, so for a listener who is just getting used to the world of entertainment, what? How would you? How would you uh, describe a walkthrough of a, a production day on set for you to get everything that you want to get done in that day? Like from getting to your dressing room or whatever until calling it a day. How would you walk somebody through that? Yeah, so um, uh, that's a great question. Uh, so before anything happens, like already a... a the the first uh, assistant director, the first AD, they've already put together a schedule, a schedule that they figured out because they've worked on many productions, and so they understand how long it will take to shoot different things, locations, how many pages we're shooting, what the weather will be, um, and, and they've coordinated with a lot of the departments to like make sure we have every that they have everything they need to shoot. So the a day a typical day would start with um, we get picked up. Um, by uh, transport, he'll come get the the performers. Uh, we get taken to set. When we arrive on set, the first thing is uh, they'll they'll you know <laughs> take <laughs> walk you through the most tedious parts of it. Uh, but like be like they'll they'll be like, do you want something to eat for breakfast? I'll get that ready for you while you get into your costume or wardrobe. And so being put in order, like yeah, give me a do we got pancakes? All right, I'll love some pancakes. And then now I'm gonna go and put in my outfit uh, for the day. When I arrive in my set uh, in my dresser, there'll be what they call the sides for the day. So, like the scripts that you'll be uh, you'll be shooting for that day, um, and and the wardrobe will be set up for you. And and once I put that on, I head to makeup, get the hair and makeup done. While I'm sometimes usually I you know was was good about staying on top of lines, but sometimes you know schedule or <clears throat> feeling like exhausted. Oh, I didn't really get down this seen as well as i wanted to so i'm using the hair and makeup time since i don't personally have to do anything i'm just sitting in a chair while someone's you know making me look beautiful i just can go over these lines and be like oh but then sometimes we if we're in the scenes together be like hey do you guys want to one one of the other person be like do you guys want to run lines together while we're getting ready and so we do that get the lines together um and then after hair and makeup it, depending on what the schedule is like, either we go straight to set or maybe back to the trailer to wait to be called to set because they're still setting up maybe lights or getting the you know the the, the room ready or cameras or whatever aren't 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 fully uh, good to go. But once we get on set, we'll uh, you know there'll be a little safety meeting all the time on top of the day just to be like we're going to be doing this, we're going to be outside. Maybe if there's a day where this particular Maybe we're gonna have fake guns on set, so that announcement will be made. We'll be using some, you know, uh, they will, when the time comes, the props people will walk through the fake guns, um, and uh, if anyone has any questions or concerns and stuff like that, we'll address that um, uh, for the day. But just getting everyone started on the same page, and then after that, it's just a matter of just running through all the different scenes. Sometimes we're shooting an entire sketch we're getting it all in on, on, on one part of the day. Cause it's a sketch where we're all indoors. It, there's no cut twos. There's nothing happening. We're just all in the same place. So we can shoot all that in one, in one setting. Um, but other times it will be bits and pieces of sketches, which is always the fascinating part of seeing that cut together. Cause I might shoot this one little piece where I'm in a restaurant and the part where I'm outside, we shoot that three weeks later. Um, not chronologically no it's all it's all based Mm -hmm. on like location because that's like what that schedule is so that schedule is the best use of our time where are we going to be that we can get all these shots done and so we might do a whole day where we're indoors the whole day and we're shooting only indoor scenes and then another day we're all outdoors but usually it was a mixture of both and so we're going through it and if all goes well 
which it usually did. We didn't have a lot of uh, times where we didn't get what we needed, um, where like either in some emergency happened or weather didn't cooperate with us when we're outside and we're trying to shoot outdoors. Um, we would get through all the scenes and just be like, all right, we got this part. Boom. We got that scene. We did several takes, move cameras around, yada, yada, yada. All right, you guys go change for the next scene. Um, and depending on <clears throat> the day, sometimes I'm in all the scenes and other days I'm in the first scene and I'm in the last scene. So I have a mm. lot of time off. So I'll just go to my trailer and maybe getting down, lines down for the next scene or sometimes just be like, watching youtube videos or reading a book, <laughs> you know yeah just being like because yeah those it's very rare that you usually try to make the schedule um well enough that you're not having so much downtime but there was uh, i remember a day where i had i think i had like seven hours between scenes so mm. i did one scene did it and then i wasn't needed for seven hours so i that day was just a lot of me just yeah like you know journaling reading a book being like can i get driven to this place i want to go get some food <laughs> <laughs> and on a typical shoot day what time do you enter the set and what time do you leave the set uh typical shoot day uh i think we're i'm on set at uh like we arrive at rocket city 7 30 uh, we'll be shooting at eight or something like that or so and then we'll be done by like 6 p.m mm. around there yeah mm. we're pretty we're it was pretty uh um tight turnarounds um or not turns weren't tight but being like the shooting schedule was was very quick so that there weren't the days weren't too long like it wasn't often that you I, at least as a performer had a 14 hour day usually the days yeah. were like closer to 10 maybe 12 hours and if you had to think of the tip of your tongue, what was the most memorable episode that you ever shot? <sighs> the most memorable episode. Um, I mean, it it it's because it was the first season and all of it was so new to me. I still think about uh we had a sketch where we were running away from TTC Fair Enforcers. And we were shooting out on the east end of Toronto. It was uh, one of the first outdoor shoots that we were doing. And we had a bunch of friends playing small roles and characters. And we're running down a sidewalk and like, make, like you know, like cartoon level, mm -hmm. like trying to turn on one leg, you know, bouncing a few times. Parkour. Um, yeah. <laughs> doing some parkour, you know. And, and so I remember that was like a really uh, cool thing, which was like, oh, I've, I've seen this in the past walking around the city you see a film set and you see something happening and then being part of it um was cool because i was like oh like uh it took a minute to feel okay with people staring at you um because they're just curious mm -hmm. of what's going on because i've been on the other side of it but then mm -hmm. after a while like oh like you i i kind of start stop paying attention to them in the same way like i'm like oh i got if, if i have to do something where i feel and i think acting is at uh, many times embarrassing some of the stuff you have to do so being having to be embarrassing in public like that and then you have to be you know i mean you don't have to scream at the top of your lungs because they have mics and, and and boom mics and everything um but still being like oh i gotta like i gotta do this silly thing and and react like this and maybe get something splashed in my face and people are maybe 20 feet away from me random strangers just like what's going on over here you know and so be like, mm. i gotta be like i gotta commit to it i gotta pretend like they're not there and just really be like what do you mean get hit with water and be like oh come on you know um and did you did you find that going back to stage after having recorded all the stuff like this felt different now that you have this experience for sure. I mean, I, I the the biggest feeling was um, I uh, I felt this pressure to be uh, much better at stand up comedy and improv and sketch after I'd done the TV show because I was coming off of like um, having done this thing that was like a dream and something I never thought would happen when it did and at the rate that it did. So when I came to stage, I 
every time someone would introduce me because the intros change now it going from oh i love this uh, person they're really funny they do uh, you know um give it up for google dabby now it's like you guys might know him from tall boys a lot of times and still is the case many people did not know <laughs> tall boys <laughs> so some of that fear was me being like oh my god people are gonna know who i am and then turns out a lot of people did not know who i was <laughs> so but it's just the name being said i was immediately like oh my god they mentioned i'm on a tv show now I can't go out there and have a mediocre set. It's got to be great. Because now people are going to be like, that's what I thought. My thought process, they hear the TV show. They're going to be like, oh, he got paid money. Okay, let's see. (laughs) The big deal. Yeah, they paid you money. What did they pay you money for? And so then I felt for the first, um, yeah, like I say first, like maybe a year or so um, uh, of, of doing it. I mean, the pandemic was helpful where I didn't have to be out as much performing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for, yeah, first like year or so of, of performing, which was spread out because of the pandemic, um, I felt a lot of weirdness and anxiety of being like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I hope this lives up to whatever judgment that they might not even be making. Because some of them didn't even know what Tall Boys was. So these are just words to them, you know? cbc i know cbc tall boys i have no idea what that is you know so then i was coming up there being like i gotta i gotta be great i gotta prove that they didn't just give us this show because i was tall because you were tall (laughs) um so for instance because you mentioned that you're somali right did you before before i get to my question um did you at what did you were you born in canada did you immigrate to canada i i, I came as a refugee to canada okay when I was, how old uh, were you i was four about okay. yeah i think yeah 92 yeah i was four mm-hmm. um and uh i i came before lived here for about uh four years um and then i i spent a lot of my formative years in kenya so i was mm-hmm. there for about eight and a half nine years and then i've been back since oh five so it's okay. Been a while. Did you? Where was the English at for you when it came to adapting back to Canada? Were you fluent? Did you have to adapt to it? When I first came, I didn't speak a lick of English. Um, mm-hmm. So I learned all my English really while I was here for those four years. So I went mm. from speaking no English to then I think being pretty fluent uh, in it by the time I was leaving. So yeah. that when I did come back from Kenya and I told people I was in Kenya, that's how we get this question be like, oh, but you got no accent, you know? And I was, it took me a while to be like, okay, you know? <laughs> I was, I was, I was like, I'd, I'd be like, oh, because I, I, I came here first. And yeah, so I used to take that as a, a point of pride. But I look back and be like, what does it matter if I, if I got, if I, if I had no accent because I learned it there, or even if I did have an accent, like it's not. You still understand what I'm saying, you know? Yeah. People were just so surprised. Kenya, no accent. Being like, guys, not even in Kenya, people who grew up and lived there for their entire life, some have accents, others don't. It's all really dependent mm-hmm. on, like, you know, where you are. And, the individual. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Did you find that being an immigrant in any way affected how you felt about the entertainment industry in Canada? I knew nothing about it as, as, um, because, um, in the Somali community at that time, I mean, there are people I knew who were, who were in it, you know, but the names that came to mind were like, Oh, Iman, the model, you know, and, and other people who were like, who were big at that level. But I didn't know too many people who were just like, just doing it you know oh someone is a Mm -hmm. production coordinator or they're a writer or whatever i didn't know i knew some friends who wrote for um magazines and stuff like that but nobody that i knew who was in film and tv in that way Mm -hmm. so uh the only thing was i felt um worried about was uh uh when i first started was like oh i can't um i don't want to be performing in front of my uh my people because i was worried about their judgment um and truth be told uh i think a lot of that was my own fear of like having like 
some of my family members or, 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 or people I looked up to who didn't like that I was doing comedy. But the truth is, even within my own family, most of the people who I who I cared about and loved were so ecstatic that I was doing comedy and were like my number one fans from day one when I was not like even anywhere like decent enough to warrant that level of love, but they just loved me. That they were like they were like, You're great, man, dude. And they would come watch shows shows where I was like, I did I did I did fine. You know, it wasn't it was it was like sometimes terrible, but a lot of times it was fine, like get some laugh stuff. But they were just so happy that I was following my dreams. Uh so they were yeah. such big supporters um uh of that. But yeah, I had no no other like i didn't have any true worries or fears about it because i didn't know anything about it knows anything that anybody uh when i was starting at least my friends and stuff and, and family would, would talk about hmm. interesting and would you say that you have a favorite somali restaurant in toronto I mean, it still is, uh, I mean, it's the OG Hamdi, I would say, is uh, my favorite. It's H-A-M-D-I. It's in the uh, the West End, mm-hmm. uh, Rexdale area. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, that's like, I, I love it. Um, H-A-M-D-I. Yeah, Hamdi. Okay. And there's also another one, uh, Istar, which is really great as well. Um, that's, uh, I think it's like also in the West End, I think it's like the... Islington and, and Dixon area, mm. um, but yeah, I say, I say Hamdi was for a while because I it, it was my favorite because that's where my family went to eat a lot of times, so I have mm-hmm. a lot of memories there. Uh, mm. I can't vouch for how great the quality is because I, for me, I, it's I'm about the nostalgia judge. for you. Yeah, it's about the nostalgia mm-hmm. and stuff. So for me, I'm like. Even when I was with my family, the family would be like, ah, you know, because they had days where they were great and other times when you went and it wasn't all that great. But for me, it always tasted great. So I never was like, they're like, oh, man, the chicken's a little dry today. I'm like, that's good to me, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's interesting. That's interesting. And um, did you... What, when it comes to uh, food and stuff, are you a person that likes to cook? Are you a person that likes to order? What... Where do you fall on that line? I love it. It's the do you cook order of the uh, what part of <laughs> what group do you fall to? I am definitely the order. I for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely the order. Uh, I, I love watching. It's funny. I love watching people cook. Mm-hmm. Like I'll watch hours of. I used to be a Food Network guy. I would watch so many shows on Food Network and <laughs> and then sometimes try to imitate the dishes and they never came out well. But yeah, cooking of. I used to cook more when I was younger, but n- yeah, now I'm a I'm a I'm a Uber Uber eats, skip the dishes, whatever, walk to a restaurant, order something, guy. I I I rarely, I'm rarely mm-hmm. throwing it down in the kitchen. And if you have going back to all the production stuff, if you have a big production week that you're going through, and you had to order Uber Eats that week, what would be your go tos? Uh, my go-to would usually be uh, Jerk King. It's this fast food uh, Caribbean um, restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be uh, that would be my go-to. And then uh, other times I would get uh, pizza. That would be my big mm. thing. Yeah, I'd mm-hmm. order pizza. But the nice thing of being when you're in production is they feed you on set, and there's so much food. That's true. And you're gone for so many hours of the day that, like, if I was even gonna cook, it might only really be on the weekends. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times I learned from doing it being like, oh, I didn't have to even do grocery shopping while we're That's shooting nice. because we're just out so much and I'm getting so much food. And when I come home, I'm literally coming home, getting lines down, sleeping, and then I leave the next day. So that if I did have groceries I bought, they would go bad. So I learned that from the first season, no grocery shopping while we're, while we're shooting. Um, since you like pizza, let me ask you this. Have you ever tried Brazilian pizza? I didn't even know that was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> this, well, this is my first time hearing about it. Well, you recommended me a restaurant. I'm going to recommend you one. It's Please. called Y. U-A-I. Y. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it's in the Dufferin St. Clair kind of like oh, area. Yeah. yeah. Brazilian. Very 
full of Brazilian uh, things there. And this place does Brazilian pizzas. And what makes them Brazilian in comparison to Italian or regular Canadian pizza is the way that we layer them. Mm. So in here, I find as a Brazilian that the standard pizza is really a margarita pizza mm -hmm. with whatever sprinkles you put on it. Like that's a chicken pizza and it's just like a margarita with yeah, chicken. Yeah, yeah. Right? Mar marinara base, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, Brazilian pizza is like the level of flavors that you're going to see in the menu, all the different types of the ingredients. Mm -hmm. What we do is we... We have a variety of different sauces for a specific type of specialty pizza, mm -hmm. you know, different type of cheeses that we use that Canadians don't use. And we right. have both savory and sweet pizza, even for dessert. Sweet pizza? Yeah, okay. like, like, do you know what Brigadeiro is? No. So Brigadeiro is a traditional Brazilian chocolate, homemade. People mm -hmm. do it with condensed milk, chocolate powder, and butter. And usually people like to roll it into like little chocolate balls and sprinkle it. But Brazilians often put that into a pizza. Oh, okay. And then you have dessert pizza that you can eat cold in the morning or something like that. Or you could yeah. put some bananas in it. Or we have stuff like Dolce de Leche pizza. And it's like... Okay, wow. That's so, yeah. I, I mean, I've heard of like dessert pizza but i always thought it was i i i my my never having not talked to anybody or done any research I, very passionate of, about pizzas <laughs> I, I do love pizzas but like i i was like when i ever i saw dessert pizza i thought it was like a gimmick you know i was, I was like yeah like you know like you know what else we can do we can put nutella on this i'm like yeah i could i could have done this you know but to be part of like the way you're talking about like oh it's like actually part of like brazilian cuisine like that is dessert pizza is a thing and i was like oh yeah. okay so it's not just a random i thought a restaurant was just trying to be like we got to bring people in well, how can we stand out like for instance, dessert pizza it's very common in brazil for people to go on a weekend to a pizza place for the all you can eat night mm -hmm. and so you you go with a whole group of people and then instead of just getting one pizza flavor or something like that because there's three i don't know sections of people you're gonna get three large pizzas half and mm. half and then you're gonna get a little bit of all the flavors that you really like you'll settle and wow. get a slice of each and you know what i mean and there's always the dessert that comes afterwards yeah and for instance even with the savory pizzas right um Back home in Brazil, one of my favorite pizzas ever was crab pizza. Crab? I mean, listen, you're, you're saying words that I know separately, but together I've never heard. So crab. So pizza, if you okay. go, if you go to this place in Toronto, why pizza? You're gonna you're okay, gonna see all these different I mean, types. I'm so close to it. I I mean I I I now have to. What is the uh are are the basis for? The savory pizza is mostly tomato, or is it something you could the sauces really change? It really depends. It really depends on the on the flavor. Okay. Like for instance, I when I went there, I got this this thing that was supposed to be chicken and catupiry. Catupiry is a Brazilian type of cheese that's it's not cream cheese, but it's like mm. it's like cream cheese meets heavy cream. Okay, I'm, so I'm it's, trying it's, to picture it's, it. It's very creamy. It's it almost has a mayo-like consistency, but it's cheese, mm -hmm. and you drizzle it on top of the pizza with shredded chicken and and lots of onions and corn mm -hmm. and things like that. And the sauce under it would be more compared to what Canadians refer to as the Alfredo sauce. Oh, okay. So it's yeah, like, it's a lot of like white on white uh pizza with with the with the, with the chicken. shredded chicken and stuff yeah. um and it's the kind of pizza that you have to eat with like a fork and knife oh italians would be upset i imagine right Cause yeah <laughs> but i mean also yeah being like uh, I've, I've 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 also sometimes eaten with a fork and knife 
Um, yeah, yeah. Like you can try to eat it with your hands and stuff. It's just that shit's gonna fall all over you. Right, you know. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, no. Uh, but yeah, living and learning. Now you know Brazilian. Now I know. Thing. Yeah, I didn't. I did not know. Yeah, that's so you cool. You like Japanese food? I do. Yeah. There's also a Brazilian sushi bar in Toronto. Wait, this is. <laughs> Am I blowing your mind? <laughs> I mean, I, I feel I might have seen actually now this Brazilian sushi a place you're talking about. Is it also on Saint Clair? Uh, yes, it is. It's called Okay. Yes. 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 I think I walked by it. I think I walked yeah, by it recently, you should and, go I, in and I was sometime. looking at it and seeing. Is there a big Brazilian Japanese oh, population? Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. No one knows this about Brazil. But this is, besides Japan, it's the country with the biggest Japanese population. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I did not know that. No. Yeah. So it's like we have an entire branch of um, Japanese cuisine infused with Brazilian stuff. So oh. if you go for, you know, an all-you-can-eat night and you bring the tall boys with you, go in a group so that you can yeah. get a lot of stuff. Um You'll see the menu options, things that you would never find at a regular Japanese restaurant. It's, right. it's specifically Brazilian Japanese stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's check it out. Yeah. So now you know. Now I know. Yeah, because I mean, it's blowing my mind. Because anytime I've heard Brazilian cuisine, it's always the restaurants where it's like the meat on the 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 metal stick. That's that's all. The steakhouses. Yeah. The steakhouses. That's all I've heard. So to hear that, like. Oh no, we also have our own pizzas and we also have a huge Japanese yeah. population. Yeah, the only one that's missing in Canada that we don't have is a branch that does Arabic Brazilian stuff. Because those what? are really the three the three branches of foods that you find the most there when it's not just Brazilian Brazilian. Yeah. It's either gonna be Brazilian Italian or Brazilian Japanese or mm -hmm. Brazilian Arabic. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's now, the only after one this, I will Toronto. be looking that up. I will have to see <laughs> what these dishes look like. Cause it is that like, I mean, yeah, f fusion dishes are, are like wild to me in general. And I, mm -hmm. anytime I've had them, like I never thought to put these two together, but that's great. They well, did it, you know, there you go. <laughs> there you go. So glad <laughs> before we wrap up this interview, why don't you tell our audience what it would take to keep up with you and what you have coming up? Um, you can find me on uh, the social meds. I am on uh, Instagram at GUL3D. Uh, I, I post any shows and cool stuff that I'm doing on there. Also, same thing on, uh, on uh, Twitter. It's G and then four U's LED. And then... Um, uh, uh, I'm not sure when this is coming out. Uh, if it's coming out in the next week, uh, there mm -hmm. I'm doing Toronto Fringe as well, a show called They Go Low, We Go Laugh, which I'll be posting about on my social media accounts. So if you are in Toronto and love the Toronto Fringe, come check us out. It's a uh, variety show where we um, parody RuPaul and then have stand-up in between <laughs> this uh, RuPaul runner. I, I go <laughs> that by sounds Goop. so fun. I, it's very silly. Yeah, it's very silly. I, I play Goopal. Uh, Goopal? Uh, uh, it's yeah it's, it's very silly it's very fun so if, if anyone yeah is uh is interested do you wear do you wear a colorful suit to be Gupal? oh man i that's the only thing uh that would be of, so funny the one or two things i regret is i don't have a colorful enough suit and if i was if i was really about that life i would shave my head bald <laughs> <laughs> and those Gupal, are two things i love that you know i, I was, I was like oh, if i was if i was really committed i would just go bald <laughs> so when is that show? Uh, so that show is at Toronto Fringe. We got we got five more shows coming up this week, um, mm -hmm. and so it's all on the. Uh, if you look up, type in Toronto Fringe, they go low, we go laugh. You, you'll see, or check out my social media accounts. I'll be posting about it um, as we're doing the shows. Amazing. Okay, so in conclusion, we learned that you went to. Science school, med school, both. <laughs> like, I, not med school. I didn't get. I didn't get to med school. Like, uh, uh, I did undergrad and uh, a bachelor of science. Med school never happened. You Although I have a friend school. also named Guled, uh, a year older than me, who is a doctor now. 
so he went the separate path. So he did. Yeah, we split. We split up. Uh, we were once one person, and we split. And he the multiverse the... of Gulen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we learned then that you did that, and that you started doing stand up because you went to an open mic. Yes. And that it caught you by surprise. We talked about what it takes to develop a show such as The Tall Boys and all the process of back and forth editing and sending scripts for review and all of these things. We talked about what it would be like to have a day on set on a production on location. And finally, we talked a lot about food. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> I learned a lot, I learned about, a lot about Brazil. I really did. <laughs> food is the best way to learn about cultures, I find. It's Truly. one of the best ways to bond. Yeah, I, and, and I, I am, this perfect time because I am hungry and I'm like, should I, should I do Japanese? <laughs> Japanese Brazilian. Well, now you know. Now you know. Atlantico. Yeah. Atlantico, I know. I know. <laughs> okay, well, thank you so much for joining me for this, Glad. I was very happy to finally pick your brain about this production. I think I've been bothering Vince about this for like a few weeks. And he was like, talk to Goulet. He knows more. <laughs> oh, no. That, that, that's very sweet. Yeah, he's also like a, live, a busy working on some other shows as well these days. So uh, yeah. I, I appreciate him forwarding. <laughs> yeah. I, I love chatting. I do. Yeah, well, um, this was very enlightening. And... For everybody who would like to follow Guled, don't forget to check him out at GUL3D. That's right. Okay. And that's the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to stop recording now. And this was the episode. You've made it to the end. You listened to my voice this whole time and it didn't drive you crazy. Congratulations. Thank you so much for supporting me. I truly appreciate it. If it wasn't for you, I would be talking to myself. So, <laughs> thank you. If you'd like to stay up to date with my weekly episodes and occasional videos, please follow me on Instagram and subscribe to my YouTube channel at Laura Faritos. If you'd like to stay up to date with my work besides the show, please go ahead and sign up for my monthly newsletter. There, I summarize key takeaways from my episodes, I share links to any other content I produce, and I also include tickets to comedy shows, so that's always nice. Finally, if you'd like to take an extra step and support the making of the show, please consider making a one-time donation, buying my merch, or signing up for my Patreon for just $2 a month. You get all my content ad-free, full length, and sometimes even the behind-the-scenes process. I'm looking at you, media production students. You like the show? Huh? Do you? Do you? You like the show? Prove it. Give me your money. Pay me cash. Dollars. I want dollars. This has been a public service announcement. See you in the next episode. Ciao, ciao. So for the...